each week because each week will build on on the other uh, the other week. And today I want to talk about getting love wrong. All right, I want to talk about getting love wrong. Somebody say that after me: getting love wrong. All right, let's uh, let's look here. This is one of our uh, favorite people in the Bible, Jacob. Jacob. Uh, sees Rachel and falls in love with Rachel, decides that he wants to marry Rachel, goes and talks to Rachel's dad. Rachel agrees that Jacob can marry his daughter. Uh, they go through the wedding ceremony, and when it's time to consummate in the middle of the night, Laban pulls his youngest daughter, puts his older, older daughter, Leah, in the tent. And Jacob lays with Leah wakes up in the next morning and decides that, hey, this is not who I signed up to marry. Why would you do me this way? And as the story goes in the scripture, y'all know this story, but as the story goes in the scripture, uh, Leah understood something about herself that she was unloved. What she understood is that she, wasn't, that, that she was married to something that didn't love her. She was connected to something that didn't love her. So she thought that the way that she would get love was to... Well, let's, let's just read and we'll find out. Verse 31 of 29. You got it? Shout, I got it. Then the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He opened her womb and Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and she bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. What affliction? The fact that my husband doesn't love me. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again, and she bore a son, and she said, Because the Lord hath heard me that I am unloved, he therefore has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again, and she bore a son, and now this time my husband will become attached to me. Somebody shout, attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore she called this son Levi, I want you to notice something before I read this next verse, that the Lord saw she was unloved. In verse 32, she says that the Lord has looked on my affliction, and now my husband will love me. That's what she thought with the first child. Then she had a second child, because apparently what she tried to pull off with the first child didn't work. She thought that if I did this for him, he would love me. So the second child, she ends up saying, I'm still unloved. I gave all these actions of love, then I'm still unloved. Now this child, I'm going to call him Simon because God is seeing my affliction. Then after that, she realizes that even after being afflicted, even after being unloved, this man still don't love me. So I'm going to have another child, and I'm going to call him Levi that my son might be, my husband might be attached to me because now she's noticing that, that we don't even have a connection. She says, we don't even have a connection. Then, verse 35, it says, Then she conceived again and she bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now... I'm going to love on somebody that's going to love me back. Jesus, that's it right there. He said, I'm going to love somebody that's going to love me back. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She said, and the way you love God is through your praise. 
She said, so I'm going to name my son praise. Judah means praise. I'm going to name my son praise. And, and this is where we're going to put our pen because after that she stopped having children. I want you to look at somebody and say, getting love wrong. Getting love wrong. Father, in the name of Jesus, I do bless you and I thank you and I give you the praise this morning. And Father, we ask that you would send an anointing that makes teaching makes preaching, all of these things easy to do, receiving the gospel. It's in the anointing that makes that as such. But God, more than these things, send an anointing that transforms hearts. Send, send the anointing, God, that has us, our eyes wide open. The Bible says that your word is a lamp and a light. Send the anointing that allows us to see what you're illuminating so that we won't ever love something that is not good for us. And God, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. 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 You can be seated. Smile at somebody next to you. Tell them it's just church. It's okay. Tell them it's just church. It's, church. it's just church. And it's church on Super Bowl Sunday. How about that? How about that? How about that? So um, we, uh, I, I want to talk real quickly, real briefly, uh, and I don't want to belabor and spend too much time with us this Sunday, but I do want to. Uh, extrapolate these conceptual ideas as it relates to love. Somebody shout love. Everybody, say that, shout love. Everybody in this building needs love. I, every person in this building needs love. Every person in this building not only has the ability to receive love, they also have the ability to give love. We are a unique kind of being that needs to receive love, but we also have to give love. You are at your best when you are both receiving and giving this thing called love. I don't care how uptight you are. I don't care how mean you are. I don't care how much you hate life. I don't care how much you think that God has rejected you. You need to be loved. I don't care how independent you are, how much you think you can do this by yourself. We have been created to be motivated by love. Somebody shout, I need love. That's a good LL Cool J song. Yes, it was. It was a real good one. It's a real good. I'm sanctified sometimes. So, he, so we all need love. This is an aspect of life. Now, the problem with love is the way that we have been challenged to express love in the 21st century as related to the way that the first century, well, even before the first century, the biblical times, it has changed. In fact, the definition that love is so dynamic that it does change in its expression, but it should never really change in its definition. And the, di the, di the dynamic aspect of love has moved in the wrong direction. It has disintegrated itself down to being a base concept. And I told first service, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But if you spend some time in the book of Genesis, one of the first expressions of love was not only the reality that God saved Noah from the ark. But if you remember the story of Noah, Noah got drunk, fell out on the beach, and he was naked in front of his sons. And one group of his sons ridiculed his father, and the other group showed him love by covering him up. Because love covers. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Love covers. This is critical that we understand that, that God, when God uh, realized that man had sinned, the, one, the first ways that God expressed his love for them is that he killed something, watch this, to cover them with. So love covers. Somebody shout love covers. 
the, the, the historic aspect about love is that love begins by covering, but by the time we get into the middle, uh, the, some of the middle ages of, of human development, we start to see the expression of love change. By the time we get to the middle um, of the world, what we start to see now is the picture of love not be expressed by the way that uh, the sons covered Noah, but in fact, it went from covering to uncovering. The earliest Michelangelo pictures, there's this fascination with nakedness. This fascination with the, the earlier pictures, and I know I'm going very historic on you, but I prom promise you I'll get back to the Bible. Because history and the Bible go hand in hand, and you probably shouldn't keep a religion that don't have a history. I'm just saying. So he finds himself in this historic perspective that now the expression, you always know what people think about God because humanity expresses itself through its art, through its music, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Love goes from being a place that covers, a place that is very rigid, so much to the degree that no one got married unless their parents were okay with it, where it starts to separate from the cerebral expression of covering to the sensual expression of uncovering. So now, in one imagery of humanity, you see love expressed by cover. By the time you get to Michelangelo, are you guys familiar with the, the, the sculpture of David? You guys know the sculpture of David, the naked David? This is the way that humanity was interpreting love now. Humanity has started to interpret love with nakedness as opposed to with covering. Why is this critical? This is critical because the way that you move on things that have clothes and the way that things move you when they don't have clothes are two different aspects of who you are. And, uh, and, and as we, as adults, understand what I'm about to say, uh, a person that stands in front of you with clothes on, it forces you to deal with them in a way that uh, is, is a balanced way that would be very different with how you would have to deal with them if they stood in front of you with no clothes. There are things in you that lie dormant when someone has clothes on that come alive when they don't have clothes on. I need you to stay with me now. Uh, can we be grown for a few minutes? All right. Uh, there, there is aspects of your being that while there is cloth, you have to deal with the intelligence and the intellectualism of an individual. But when there's nakedness, we cut off our brain and deal with the sensuality of the scenario and situation. And this is a picture of what love became, is that love starts in the intelligentsia of how do we deal with Abraham's children, covering him, clothing him, and it moves downhill to where now love is being expressed by the sensuality of nakedness. And the problem with nakedness is that most of us don't make good decisions with our clothes off. I'm going to help the church of the living God this morning. Amen. I'm gonna, this is the city of hope, right? Okay, I'm going to make, we don't make good decisions with a clothes. So, so the world now is forced to get and to take this thing called love. 
this idea of love, the thing that we have to give and the thing that God wants us to receive, the thing, watch this, that God says he doesn't just have love, he says he is love. And now we are forced to interpret love through the lenses of a disintegrated perspective that says that love should be sensual instead of cerebral. So now, the Rome- so now as we move into the mid-ages, what happens in our literature is that our literature is, is a picture of the images of the Michelangelo. So our literature begins to talk about romance as it relates to love. And, and romance and love, that there is no love if you are not showing some kind of expression of romance. And this will mess you up all the time because, because romance requires feeling. Romance requires intimacy. Romance requires doing. Romance requires goosebumps and googly gooks. And romance requires heart patterns. And romance requires gifts and trinkets. And romance requires these things. And that is problematic because no one gives you goosebumps all the time. And no one can afford to pay for new stuff for you all the time. And if this is the way we have been taught that love is, we're not just going to have a problem with each other. We're going to have a problem with God because God is not into your feelings. I'm going to preach this thing whether y'all want to shout amen or not. Somebody shout love. Love. This is, this, this is the idea. This is where love gets complicated. We have gone from covering to wanting to deal with the thing that is uncovered. But the thing that is uncovered becomes more complicated. Who told you you were naked? I'm uncovered. I, I, I don't know how to answer that, God. I, 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 where are you, Adam? I'm, I'm hiding. What are you hiding for? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? I'm just, it, nakedness makes us all go uh, 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 nakedness makes us I, I, I want to talk to grown folks now nakedness makes us all go Lord I, I shouldn't be looking at this but I am looking at this it's because it's naked I, I, I shouldn't be partaking in this but I am partaking in this and I, I wish I could get off this site but I can't get off this site because nakedness makes all of us search for who we are am I preaching to anybody in here Am I preaching anybody? This, and this is what, but this is what we have disintegrated love to be. And love now has to work as the true definition of love now has to work itself through the sensuality of a world that we live in. And life is not just about the commercials that we see. It's about this idea that we need love and we should give away love. But what I have taken and what I'm giving away is a perverted expression of a pure thing that God has given us. I'm going to teach this thing this morning. This is so love now is mostly not connected with the body or the mind. Love is connected most oftentimes with the heart. And it is critical that we talk about the heart. Because when we speak about the heart in Scripture, we are not talking about our bodies, obviously. And we're certainly not talking about our souls. We're speaking about the center of all of our moral, intellectual capacity. The heart is a place. It's a, it's a thing that is really difficult to define. Even biblically, because we know that we have a body. When a person dies, they come, we we are left with the body. And we know that we are a soul, that we have a soul as well. This idea that the soul is, is, is connected to life. And when God breathed into man, the Bible says he became a living soul. We got that down. So now the soul and the body kind of create who we are. And the spirit gives life to all of it. And so where does the heart come? 
come in? Like, what is, what is this idea of the heart? God takes now this thing and he places it inside of each of us and it becomes the precipice by which the soul and the body and the mind begin to rotate around. Is that my body and my soul and my mind, watch this, will give in to whatever's in my heart. And it's my heart now that is governing the conversation. God, I feel the Holy Spirit in this. Your brain is not governing the conversation. Watch this. Your body ain't really governing the conversation. Your mouth doesn't necessarily govern the conversation because Jesus said that out of the abundance of the, the mouth speaks. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your heart is the thing that God placed to be in control of this thing if you don't get a grip on it. So the heart, somebody shout my heart. So now my heart becomes a, 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 an interesting thing. The heart is a vice of sorts that whatever gets caught in the jaws of this vice, it doesn't let go of very easy. So you've got to be careful what you set your heart on. This is why we all talk about setting our heart on something. You've got to be careful what you set your heart on because setting your heart will determine what you go after with all your might. You ever seen a pit bull lock his jaws on something? That's the way your heart does when you allow something in it. This is why the Bible said, above all, guard your heart. Why? Because if my heart gets its jaws in it, it's going to hold it tight and not let it go. But the problem with the heart is it's not very discriminate. It's whatever gets close, it's going to snap down on. So if you set your heart on a car, it's going to snap down on it. If you set your heart on another woman, it's going to clap down on it. If you set your heart on evil, it's going to clap down on it. And it does not let go. And that is the problem with the heart is that the heart will consume and hold everything that you allow in it. That is why you better be careful who and what you let into your heart. God, the heart is very different than the brain. The brain can take in information and all by itself filter that this is stupid, this ain't smart, this is not for me, this ain't what I've been going through. And it can filter. The heart doesn't work like that. The heart doesn't have a filtration system. The heart is a consuming and all-consuming. If you put bad information in, you can put bad information in in 20 minutes and have 20 years worth of life to get it out of your heart. Am I talking to anybody in here? They talk about men that have porn, pornography addictions. A guy sits in front of his computer for 20 minutes and then he's stuck for the next 20 years because it didn't go to his brain. It went to his heart. Somebody shout my heart. And my heart becomes an interesting place because we have taught each other how to lead with your heart and think with your heart, make decisions with your heart. The problem with your heart, <laughs> the problem with your heart is what God told them in the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. He said that the heart above all things is deceitful. What does that mean? In other words, your heart will lie to you. They say, that's what I gave you a brain to make decisions with. Okay, that's, that's way ahead. I, I gave you a brain to make decisions with. I gave you your heart to come in touch with the, the soul of who a man is. But your brain and your heart can't go separate. And this is what the devil wants to do every time he wants to get you out of, out of sorts is he wants you to fall in love with what you can't have because if he puts what you can't have within reach of your heart, your heart will snap down and you'll hold on the inside what you should not have. 
and he keeps your brain inebriated. <laughs> he keeps your brain inebriated with all kind of wine and drink and keeps your brain inebriated with the stuff of this world. Keeps your brain inebriated so your brain cannot, is out of sobriety and can't help you make good decisions. And your heart is just consuming things and it ain't letting it go. Because you can get stuff out of your mind. The Bible says this about your mind. He says that your mind can be renewed by the word. That's what he says about your mind. So I can get the word in my mind and my mind can be renewed. The issue is not with our minds. Salvation is all about your mind. Stay with me with this. Salvation, you are, your soul is saved not because of your soul. Your soul is saved because of your mind. The word save or the word repent rather, it's simply means change your mind so your salvation experience is not connected to your soul it's connected to your mind your soul is saved because of your mind but the problem is is that even though my mind changes all the junk that's in my heart is still there so my mind is on God but my heart is fixated to this world what am I going to do I love God, but I like porn. Y'all ain't talking back to me. I love God, but I like a woman that's not my husband, not my wife. I like God. I love God, but I love other. Y'all, am I talking to anybody in this place? I got stuff in my heart because, because I let the world make me think that I should just follow my heart. Jesus, if we were a little bit closer to the original definition of the way that love operated, maybe, maybe we should follow our heart. But the world is so far away from what God thought of when he thought about love and so far away from what God thought when he, uh, the heart, when God connected the heart and love together. We're so far away that you better bring your brain to the game. Am I preaching to anybody in this place? You better bring your, before you fall in love, you better filtrate them through your brain. You better ask your brain, am I crazy or am I going to be in the same place this year that I was two years ago just because my heart is pattering? Above all things, he said, guard your heart, 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 guard who's talking to your heart, guard who's secret, secretly working his way around your heart, guard who's sending you text messages, guard who's sending you secret notes, guard who's whispering in your ear at night, guard who's being cute to you, guard who's being sassy at the water cooler, guard your heart, because once it gets locked in, how, how, do, I, how, do, I let it, how do I let it go? The heart is deceitful. Somebody shout deceitful. The heart will lie to you. Yes, it will. The heart will say it looks, it feels good. And, and in that, it does feel good, but the heart will also say it is good. And all you've had to do is be alive for a handful of years to know that everything that feels good isn't good. God, am I preaching to anybody in here? Uh, just because it looked good don't mean it is good. And many of us in this room have made some poor decisions over fine. Am I at the right church this morning? Made some horrible decisions over fine. Fine will mess. You. <laughs> oh God, I wish I was talking to the City of Hope International Church. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Before, listen, the David got ready to die, and before David died, they thought he was dead, and they say, "Bring the young girls in here, because if if anything gonna make him get back up again, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> it's gonna be fine." Hey. You better be careful. 
Y'all don't read your Bible like that? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you got to watch what goes in your heart. I wish I could help somebody. Say, watch what's in your heart. Watch what's in your heart. Because your heart are the jaws of life. Your heart will make life miserable for you if you've got the wrong thing in it. Life can be, you can love God and be hateful in your heart. You can love God and be and be and be lacking life in your heart. You can love God and be and be destitute in your heart. You can love God and have a rotten heart, and life will be you'll be on your way to heaven, miserable. <laughs> on your way to heaven, miserable, because nobody told you to guard your heart. You can't love a woman that's married. You just can't. You can't love a car more than you love people. You just can't. You can't love your career more than you love your children. You just can't. But this is what I'm supposed to do. I fell in love with the grind. I fell in love with the hustle. I fell in love with the, I fell in love with the, I fell in love with the. And now eh, you're trying to get back the years that you lost because they're 25 and they don't know who you are and you don't know who they are. And the devil finally pulls the wool over your eyes and say, I made you love something. That didn't matter. And you rich but don't have children. You rich with, a li- with live children but don't really have children. Am I helping anybody in this one? I want you to see what happens. I want you to see what happens when we love something that we need to let go. Because Leah, and I love Leah, but I don't understand Leah. Because what happens, and I'm sure Rachel told her the story. What happens is her sister Rachel one day goes out to a water pot and she's getting ready to get some water out the well and she's about to move the rock out the well and the scripture says that Jacob was out there hanging and he looked over and saw a little something something about a water pot. And the Bible said that Jacob was like, ho, 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 let me get that, let me get that, let me get that, let me get that. That's the way he jogged over there too. He said, let me get that, let me get that. (laughs) Yeah. He got to do everything intentional. He said, he said let me get that. He, he moves the stone out the way. She said, I'm going to go ahead and give me some. He said, let me get that water. How much, you tell me how much you need. You tell me how much you need. You got, I, got the, I got this. This ain't nothing for me. This light work for me. Light work for me. You know, I know y'all know he didn't speak King James when he did it, right? He was, he was speaking, you know, he was speaking at the, the, the street of, of Jerusalem on a, you know. So... You know, he's like, I got this, I got this. The Bible says he picked up the stuff, and she was flirting back with him. Because, what, because he ends up at her house later on that. She flirting back with him. You hungry? He's like. Yeah. <laughs> he got all these water pots trying to put them on the donkey. Yeah, I am hungry. Come on, I got to make some. You have, and then the Bible, <laughs> Bible said he goes home to the father. He goes home, and after spending some time with her and in her presence, you know, the Bible says she finally takes him home to meet her father Laban. And as she gets back to Laban's house, as she gets to Laban's house, he introduces her to the father. And the same way today, it was the same way back then that you didn't introduce your parents to people that you weren't into. And you didn't go meet parents if you weren't into them. So here he is. He's shaking hands. He's saying, hey, it's very nice to meet you. It's very pleasure to meet you. Mr. Laban, my name is Jacob. Very nice to meet you. And Mrs. Laban, it's very nice to meet you. And who are you? Layup, very nice to meet you. And who is it? Very nice to meet you. And he goes down the road and he meets the family. And there's no indication in the text that Leah caught his eye. 
Because you know it is possible to catch somebody's eye even when they show up to the party with somebody else. Y'all yeah. way too saved in here. You, you came in with her. Somebody can catch your eye when you walk into the party with somebody else. And this is what happens. The Bible said there is no indication that he did a double take. Your <laughs> and, you, and you know how you play it off at the party when you don't, now you don't want to be with who you came with. So, so you just go stand over in the corner, have your little. <laughs> God, where to see? What? You just go stand on it. And y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't saved. He just stand on you know, come on, let's dance. I ain't with her. I ain't with her. Like, I'm not with her. You, you want to go out with me? I'm not with her. Not like that. We just came together. That's all. We just came to party together. I needed a ride. You know, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? There, there is no indication in Scripture that Leah catches his eye. So what happens is the Bible says that he talks to Laban, their father, and he says, I love your daughter. I love her a whole lot. I love her more than anything, and I want to marry her. And the Bible says that she says to him, that Laban says, bet, but you got to give me seven years worth of work. He says, I'll do that for her. The Bible says he goes in and he works for seven years. It's time to get married. They get both of them all dressed up for the wedding. And when there's time to consummate, it's evening time in the middle of the desert. And listen, I just came from Jerusalem uh, literally three days ago or two days ago. Yesterday. I just got back sometime within the last 48 hours, all right? And they come back from Jerusalem, and listen, in the middle of the desert, I can only imagine how pitch black it is to, to be outside, but it would also be doubly pitch black in order, being inside of a tent. It is pitch black inside of a tent. The Bible said that, that uh, Laban switches his daughters out and puts Leah in the, in the consummation tent. And Jacob lays with Leah and wakes up in the morning and asks, what in the world just happened last night? Laban says, oh, you didn't know. In our country, it is uh, more customary for the oldest daughter to be married before the younger daughter. So since Rachel is the second, you had to marry Leah first. Now, I want you to understand this about Leah. The Bible describes Leah as being tender-eyed. Now, we're not real sure what tender-eyed means. It could mean that she had a wandering eye. It, I can't. The saints don't want to act right. It, <laughs> oh, that's me. Jesus. It could. It could mean that she had, literally, it could mean that she had a wonder eye. Nerve stigmatization makes the eye. It could mean that she had that tender eye. It could also mean that she was just simply unattractive to whoever was the writer. All right? But what we do know is that what we do know. <laughs> what we do know is that he literally had to trick somebody to marry her. We don't know what the issue is. We don't know if it's a visual thing, if it's a, but what we do know is he had to trick somebody to marry her. So he tricks Jacob to marry, ja to marry Leah, and this is where Jacob looks up. Jacob says, this is a problem. Why? Because I'm attached to something I don't love. He says, I love Rebecca. That's who I love. I love her sister, brother. And she's, he comes back and he says, well, then you got to give me another seven years worth of work if you want to get her sister as well. He says, I'll show you that I love her is that I will work for her. 
and he works another seven years with 14 years altogether, and they end up and they get married, and, he, and they have, and, and they eventually become husband and wife. Now, the problem is, is that Leah now has to watch the thing that she has come to love show expressions of love to somebody else. And we find ourselves here in the story because he is expressing his love and she is trying to get someone that doesn't love her to love him back. Why? Because she opened up her heart for him and now she got him in her jaws. She's got him in the jaws of her heart. But the problem is, is he's in the jaws of her heart trying to get out. And, but the heart doesn't work like that. You can want out. But you're not out of a person's heart until God removes them from your heart. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? So what she does is what many of us do when we want something to love us that can't love us back. She starts performing for the love. So she lays down with him and says, I'm going to have a child because everybody wants to have a child. She gets her first child. And the Bible says that when she shows up, she gets the first, the first baby. And she says, it's because I have not been loved that God is going to look at my affliction and give me a child. In other words, she's saying that I feel like I've been afflicted. I'm going to lay with this man and I'm going to have his child and I'll no longer be afflicted. But what she came to find out relatively quickly is that just because she was doing did not mean that it would draw him in any closer is that you can perform all the acts of love to the thing that's in your heart but if it doesn't want to love you back oh god I wish I you you will have moments and years of heartbreak and sorrow trying to give to something that don't love you back she gave herself vulnerable, reproduced the child, and she gave nothing back. She turned back around and said, I'm going to have another child with him. I'm going to try it again with this man. She has a second child with him. And she says that because I'm unloved, uh, uh, she says, I will have this child, and, and I'll name him Simeon. Now, that didn't change his mind. That he, get, he laid with her and he gave her another child, but that didn't make her fall in love. The third time, she was like, he's taking from me, but there is no attachment from me. I need you to understand that Jacob never stopped laying with her. He took from her, but, oh, God, he, you got to be careful letting somebody take from you that won't have an attachment to you. I'm trying to help people that love, I'm trying to help you love the way that God wants us to love. Is that God was very, he, he wanted the world to know that I'm going to love you, but you're going to be attached to me if I love you. You don't get to take from me and not be attached from me. That's why the Bible says that God chastened those that he loves. In other words, I'll get you back in line so that you can perform the way I've asked you to because you will not get from me and not love me. Y'all are not talking back to me in this place. Am I talking to anybody in this house that knows what I'm talking about? God finds himself. She says that I'm a, I love him, but he ain't attached to me. I sleep with him every night, but there's no connection. I give him my body, but there's no, there's no intimacy here. God help me in this place. See, this is what you don't need from somebody. I don't need you performing tricks for me if I don't love you. God help me in this place. I don't need you performing babies for me if I don't love you. I don't need you cooking meals for me if I don't love you. Because what happens? 
happens, the heart will make you think you're in love. But as years go by, you'll look up two years into the marriage and all you've got is somebody that can cook that you ain't attached to. But the heart is deceitful. Y'all are not hearing what I'm saying. The heart made you think because he winked he was in love with you. The heart made you think because she cooked for you, she had your back. But there is something deeper going on in a man and in a woman that goes beyond what you can do for somebody. Because love is a decision before it is an action. Oh, Am I, am I talking to anybody in here? Love is a decision. Touch your neighbor real quick. Say, you got to decide what you're going to do with me. Decide what you're going to do with me. I'm not cooking another meal. I'm not blessing you anymore until God makes me do it. But you've got to decide that you are going to love me. You've got to make up in your mind because love decides before it does. That's why the Bible says that before us, neither, neither, he says this about Jacob and, uh, uh, and Esau. He says, the two, neither having done good nor evil, it was written that the elder shall serve the, lot, the younger. For God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. Before they did good and evil, God made a decision to love. Because love decides before it does. God, I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. Tell your neighbor, you got to make your mind up. You better make your mind up. Don't waste my time if you're not going to love me. Don't be my friend if you're not going to love me. Don't show up to my party if you're not going to love me. Don't act like you down with me if you're not going to love me. Before I do, you got to decide. That's what God say. Choose this day. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Make up your yeah. She, she says there's no attachment. She said we're together, but we ain't attached. We're together, but we don't talk about nothing. Okay, I'm standing here with these three babies, and, and when he wakes up, he walks right past us and goes into Rachel's closet. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He walks right past Hey, Simeon. Hey, Reuben. Hey, Levi. He walks right past me and goes to his sister's closet. You, you love what I do. You love what I've done. But you don't love me. How could I have let my heart? How could I have given my heart away to something that don't want me? He just wants what I do. Something that don't want me. They just want to hear me preach. So, something that don't love me. I have a friend. I have a friend who got divorced. And when he was, he, he got divorced about seven years into his marriage. And he had a church that was packed, packed house. And he said, he came to me around his 13th year anniversary. And I said, man, but didn't you get divorced around the seventh year? He said, yeah, I did. He said, man, I've never had a vacation before. I said, you mean you've been preaching all this time? He stood with pride. He said, man, I've never had a vacation before for, seven, for, for 13 years. I said, but you've been divorced for six of these years, right? He says, yeah. Is that a problem? I said, no, that's not a problem. I said, but, but in what world does your church make you work through that kind of pain? I said, help me understand. I said, you know, I said, your church has been telling you, man, you got to get off of this pulpit and go heal or something. But what will happen is that people don't really love you. They love what you do. I said, your people don't love you, dog. They love what you do. 
And they're not concerned about your health. They're concerned about your performance. God, help me in this place. And you've got to be careful loving something that only wants you to perform for it. We watch athletes all the time. When they leave their teams, they cuss them out on the way out the door. It's like, oh, you thought they loved you. It's like, no, it was a business transaction. And you don't fall in love with business. You don't fall in love with transactions. Am I talking to anybody? And watch what happens now. Watch what happens. And I'm going to get out your space. Because, because now she is in a space where she is performing for love. And she's realizing that she is, she is getting this idea of love all wrong. She realizes she's getting this idea of love all the way wrong. Is that love can never be about performance. Love has to be a decision that is made. And at my heart, I let it, I let it sink its teeth into something that, that, it, that it can't get out of. And, and the reality is that this is the way that God says that I'll set you free. He says that you don't, get to get your, you don't get to set your heart free. He says you can go to the word of God and I'll renew your mind. He said, but you don't get to go to the word of God and have your heart renewed. He says what has to happen is, I, is I've got to show up and take out the stony heart. And then I've got to replace it with a heart of flesh. Am I talking to any Bible readers in here? He says, I'll take off the stony heart and I'll put in the heart of flesh. Because, because what has happened now is your heart is so jawed down on things that mean you no good. You love your work. You love your car. You love your house. You love the stuff of this world. You love your thought pattern. You love your thinking pattern. You've got some people in there that don't mean you any good that you love. And you can't free yourself from it. So I've got to show up and just take out that heart and put in my heart. And once she realized that, she had another child. <laughs> but she said, uh, she said, I'm not going to name this child for him. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. She said, this time, I'm going to name the child for him. And it's, uh, God, I, I wish I had some help in here. She said, this time, instead of me naming the child out of my brokenness, I'm going to give God a praise and I'm going to name my child Judah because Judah means praise. And this next thing that I fall in love with is going to be my praise to somebody that can do me better than Jacob did me. I need somebody to open up their mouth and give God about 10 seconds of praise. Because the next thing you give your heart to is going to make you shout. The next thing you give your heart to is going to make you praise God. I wish I was talking to somebody in here that needs a reason to give God some glory. He's, listen, he said, I'm gonna, she said, I'm going to name him Judah. He said, I'm going to name this next child praise. Say, good God Almighty, because trying to make this man love me ain't working. But I do know somebody that does love me. God, in spite of all the bad decisions I made trying to get this one to love me, I know somebody that does love me. God, I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. And I'm going to spend my time focusing on folks that love me instead of trying to spend my time on ones that don't care that much about me. So I'm going to give them a praise in this season of my life because I know who holds the key to my heart. And the Bible said that he shut her, he stopped, she stopped having children. Good God, I'm like, well, that's a bad thing, though, Pastor. Isn't that a bad thing? No, 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 because she actually had more children. He just changed the reason why she was having children. 
He, he said, I'm going I'm to shut off the reason why you've been giving yourself for love in this last season. He said, I'm going to shut off the purpose, and I'm going to open up a new well of healing in you so that the next time I open up your womb, you'll be birthing friendships out of love and reciprocity instead of out of need and brokenness. God, help me in this place. Am I talking to anybody in here? He said, the next relationship and friendship you'll have, he said, it'll be out of joy and happiness and how we build each other up instead of our commonality of what we don't have going on with each other. The devil is a lie. He's closing that womb up, and he's giving you a new heart. And the next thing that you'll birth, somebody shout, the next thing I birth. Oh, y'all not talking back to me. Shout, the next thing I birth. The next thing you birth is going to be a reason to praise God for I need about 30 folk to give God a hand praise on that. Stand to your feet all over this building. Touch your neighbor real quick and say, the next thing I birth is going to make me praise God. My God, the next thing I birth, the next business I start, the next person you fall in love with, the next job you take, the next thing you birth is going to make you lift up holy hands and say, God, you did it this time. It's going to make you lift up holy hands and say, if it had not been for you, it's going to make you lift up holy hands and say, God, you did it again. What have you fallen in love with? that you can't get out of here. Because the heart is crazy, man. The heart, the heart is crazy. The heart will have you make it, rethinking your thoughts and your decisions. The heart will make you say, boy, I thought I was over that. And the heart say, yeah, you thought you had control over me, huh? Uh-huh. The heart will make you, your mind will be like, man, I, I thought I was better than this. And the heart will be like, but you're not. Am, am I talking to anybody? So David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Scratch all of that stuff out that I've fallen in love with. We've fallen in love with our insecurities and we've fallen in love with our judgments and we've fallen in love with our this and fall in love with all that and that's who we are now we're defined by that because it's in our hearts and David got it David said man I had a, I had a conversation with the stuff in my heart the other day and, and it put me in, in a bedroom that I shouldn't have been in and it made me make a decision that I shouldn't have made and I can't unfix this without you so creating me a clean heart. Take the thing out. He said, create. He, did, he said, you're going to have to make something else out of this thing. Because this thing is, is deceitful and wicked. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says, who can know it? You got to keep reading the scripture. He says, who can know it? In other words, your counselor is not going to be able to help you with that part. He said, your pastor is not going to be able to preach you through that part. Who can know it? I could tell you the symptoms I see, but it don't get unearthed unless there's a God who says I can take out that stony heart and I'll put it in this heart of flesh 
and you'll see the salvation of the Lord in your life because we'll love the right way. And, and when I learn to love the right way, that means that I bring my brain and my heart together. And my heart helps me feel and my brain makes me think. And I can make choices and decisions. And my brain can look at my heart and say, uh-uh, you better stay closed. <laughs> the heart say, I'm ready to open the uh-uh, not yet, not yet. That ain't, mm-mm. Because I've been regenerated. You still being sanctified. <sighs> I wonder. I wonder what we need. I wonder what it would take. I wonder if it would take more than just a prayer. Or maybe a prayer is enough for our hearts to be changed. Brother Chauncey, bless my heart. Because he says, man, some stuff came out of my heart today. And I just realized it 10 minutes before he sang the song. Which means that it don't take God long. I'm going to say that again. It don't take God long. But you do have to be willing to give it to him. You have to be willing to give him more than just your mind and your body. You got to be willing to give him your heart. You have to be willing to say, God, this is it, man. This is who I am. This is where I am. Heads bowed, eyes closed, hands lifted. Altar workers, come to the front now. Help me in case someone needs prayer. Pastor T, you were praying and preaching to me. I'm heart wounded. I've got things locked in my heart that need to be let out. I'm in a bad state because I'm lovesick. I'm not lovesick over a person. I'm lovesick because I fell in love with a lifestyle that I can't keep up. I'm lovesick because I fell in love with a perspective that's not serving me. I'm lovesick because I fell in love with thoughts about myself that that simply are not the word of God for my life. And I've committed to it and I've fallen in love with it and now I, I play in the world with the love of the fact that I love to hate myself. I love now to doubt who I'm called to be. I love drama and frustration so I keep creating it in every season of my life not because my mind wants to but because my heart is attached